Oh, good morning. It's uh, great, great to see. Uh, always, always nice to nice to gather here. <clears throat> In Luke 15, uh, Jesus gave one of the most well-known and popular parables uh, that I suppose ever been given. We call it the parable of the Son. And it is one of those parables that is so well known that we not to uh, get much depth out of it or get into it uh, maybe significantly. Kinds of applications that Jesus intended for us to make. <clears throat> I've always found the parable of Luke 15 to be quite moving and something that uh, should affect each of us deeply, but easily easy to forget the message. Last, uh, last about three months, I have been working on talking to you about some different approaches to uh, seeking those who are lost, and there's gonna be two or three sermons that I'm going to give uh, on that, but I wanted to begin this morning with this particular lesson, thus the reason for plucking this out of, of Luke here and, and following up with it. One of the things that you, we often do not notice is what was read for us is the lead up to chapter 15. Jesus has been telling a number of parables to those who are outwardly religious, to multitudes, crowds who have been following him. And he is, uh, has been attempting to shake them out of their lethargy and try to get them to understand what it truly meant and truly means to be a disciple of Christ. In fact, for a number of chapters here in this section of Luke, Luke has been talking about discipleship and what that really means as Jesus uh, lays out a number of not only parables but different teachings to people who have come to him. The result of Jesus' teaching has caused many to walk away, and many to be shocked that following him would be so uh, challenging, so sacrificial. In fact, even in the follow-up of the parable, The Great Supper, Jesus said in chapter 14 that you cannot be my disciple unless you hate your father, your mother, your son, your daughter, your, your, your wife, in your own life also. And you cannot be my disciple unless you count the cost. And if you cannot be my disciple unless you forsake all that you have. Now here's the shocking point. He gets done with that and the scripture says in chapter 15 verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. The one people, the one group that you would not expect to have been shaken and actually drawn to Jesus after all of those statements of sacrifice would have been the rank sinners of the day. And yet tax collectors and sinners, and when he says sinners, he's talking about people who were living an openly unrighteous life, an openly immoral life. And these individuals are the ones who are drawn to him. And Jesus, in fact, begins to hang out with them. We're told in Luke chapter 7 and verse 34 that Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. 
what, a, what an accusation. In fact, the one accusation that was ever given about him that was absolutely true. Well, the response to the Pharisees and scribes seeing these sinners and, and, and uh, tax collectors who were cheating the people and all of them coming and surrounding Jesus and being drawn to him, the result of that is that the Pharisees and scribes complained about it. They were grumbling that this man is actually companying with and eating with sinners, outright immoral people. This was completely countercultural in the Jewish period of time. And thus Jesus tells a parable. I want to emphasize, first and foremost, he tells a parable. I know you're thinking, well, it seemed like there were three parables. Well, there was the sheep, and there was the coins, and then there was the uh, sons. And yet, that's not what he says. He says in verse 3, so he told them this parable. When you get to the coins and the woman, he says in verse 8, or, and then when he starts talking about the sons in verse 11, he says, and, and he is connecting all of this together, and it is significant that we do so, that we see this then as one parable. Now, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. I understand that, but I would like to take a look at it from a different angle and see some things that we don't normally, normally maybe observe in this. Let me tell you the story of what goes on here. Jesus immediately seeing and feeling the questions and the grumbling that he's seeing with the Pharisees and scribes, Jesus begins to ask a question. And he says, what, what man would have a hundred sheep? Pretty good flock. What man would have a hundred sheep? And at the end of the day, when he brought the sheep in to put them in the sheepfold, and as they're entering the sheepfold, he's counting his sheep, and he's naming them one by one. And he gets to 99, and he looks around, and he says, wait a minute, we're missing one. What man would not, at that moment, leave the 99 that he has there and go up on the mountains and begin to seek for that one sheep that was gone astray? This would be unheard of for anybody, even one out of a hundred, for anyone to leave that sheep out on the range or leave that sheep out on the mountains. This particular lamb was like a lot of animals. I've raised a few myself. And it's like a lot of animals. They each have their own personality. And some of them just want to get away. That's all there is to it. I rebuilt a fence I don't know how many times with a cow that decided he could jump it no matter how high it was and got so big he just ran right through it. That was the way it was. And you just have some animals that way. And this particular lamb was one of those that just couldn't stand it, eating in the grass that where he was given. And so he began to wander off and look at others, and pretty soon, before you know it, he's gone. He wasn't satisfied with where he was. And so the shepherd goes after the sheep, and he looks for the sheep, until he finds it. And when he finds it, he brings it home and he just stuffs it in with the other hundred. No, he doesn't do that at all. He brings it home laying on his shoulders and he brings it home and he calls all of his friends and neighbors and he throws a party. 
This is a monumental event. He has a, a lamb that was astray. It could have been killed. And he is so excited to have found it that he brings it home and he calls all his friends and all of his neighbors and he comes and he has a party. And Jesus stops for a moment and he says, when one sinner is saved, heaven throws a party. Heaven throws a party when one sinner is saved. That's how heaven sees it. It is not how man sees it, but it is how heaven sees it. And then Jesus asks another question. He says, here is a woman. And he always asks that a question. What woman, what woman would have ten coins and having lost one coin would not strip the house and tear the house apart trying to find the one coin? The coin is worth about two weeks wages. All right, how much is that for you? How much is two week wages? Do you just take two weeks wages and just toss it around and you know if you lost it you'd shrug your shoulders if, if that's who you are please get to know me a little bit better you know I would I would like to be a, a cozy with you no this is a significant amount of money and she stops everything that she's doing and she tears her house apart searching and searching and finally she finds it and she finds it she just wipes her brow and says whew that was a close call. No, she does not. She calls her friends and her neighbors in, and they have a party. I lost a coin. I lost two weeks' wages, and she calls all of them in, and she throws a party, and Jesus again stops. And he says, and when one sinner is saved, the angels in heaven throw a party. The angels in heaven are so excited that they themselves are rejoicing just over one sinner that repents. I had to think about that a second. And I need to think about that more. Can you imagine what's going on in heaven? Oh, we look around and someone is repentant and we go up and pat them on the back and say, hey, it's sure nice to have you. That's not what went on in heaven. Heaven is having a party. And that's what God keeps emphasizing. That's what Jesus keeps saying. And then when he gets to the next one, he does not ask a question. He simply says, there was a man who had two sons. What do you have here? 100 sheep, 10 coins, and now two sons. It is an interesting story. He had one older son. I always think about this as a parent. The first one pops out. And you're wondering what it's going to be like. Now, my first one was Brent. And I'll tell you what, I thought, well, this kid is one of the best kids ever, and I must be one of the greatest parents that ever lived because he just is so obedient. He was so dutiful. He was so good. And that's what you just have here. He has one son. And when you have one like that, you know this, parents. You say, why don't we just have 10 more? This is pretty cool. This is great, and since I'm such a great parent, I might as well just have a whole slew of them. But with this particular family, the second one came out, and he's nothing like the first one. Nothing like him at all. The second one comes out, and the second one, <laughs> he can't do anything right. He just gets himself into all kinds of trouble, but there's the older one. He's the dutiful son. 
He does everything. He always is obedient to his father. And he makes every parent proud. But there's probably a reason this father didn't have a third son, because this second one is just something else. He gets himself into everything in the world. And one day when he gets of age, he comes to dad and he just says, you know what? This joint that you've had me living in for all these years is just restrictive for me. I've been dealing with this forever and I'm pretty well fed up with it. You got a boring house here, you got boring work out in the field and that's just not for me. I wanna move on to bigger and better things. Give me my portion of the inheritance and I'm out of here. And here you have a father who turns and gives not only the younger son his third of the inheritance, but gives his older son his inheritance as well. Well, it doesn't take any time for that younger boy to get everything together and pack his bags and he is out of there. And so he went off and boy, he's having a blast. He started spending that money and everything he could do. He was, he was finding the enjoyment of the world. He was the kind of kid that didn't think much about tomorrow. He didn't think much about the consequences to actions. Uh, he hadn't turned 25 yet so that he could get an insurance policy without his parents. That's really what that was. He hadn't got a brain in his head is really what took place. And he just went and lived and lived and lived until the money was gone. And the, when the money was gone, all his friends left him too. And as fate would have it, a famine rose in the land. Oh, when it comes, it comes. And it gets so bad that he can't find food anywhere. And the best he can do is find some guy that's raising pigs. What a, what a situation. A Jew going to a pig farmer and saying, you got any work? And he says, yeah, go out there and feed the pigs. And he's out there and he can't even make enough to sustain himself. And he wishes that he, they would just give him the carob pods that he's having to throw to those pigs. If he could just eat those, that would be, he, he would think that would be great. And as time went on and things got worse and worse, one day he came to his senses. One day he came to his senses and realized you know, this is pretty dumb. My father has hired servants that are living high and living large. And I could, I, I'm not even doing as well as that. If I could just go back. And maybe dad would hire me just as a hired servant. It is so interesting to me that he went away to find enjoyment. He went away to find pleasure. He went away to find treasure. He went away to find all the things that now suddenly, when he came to his senses, he realized was back in the father's house all along. He left boring dad, boring house, boring work. And now he realizes all the true wealth was in the father's house all along. He is so shamed though. What can he do? How could he possibly return? And it comes to him, I know what I can do. I'll go back and I'll say, Dad, I've been such a bum. I've been such a lousy, lousy son. Please just make me a hired servant. I know I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. I know that I cannot be in your family anymore. Please 
Just let me, let me be one of your servants. I'll live out in the barn. It's okay. I just need to do that. And so he headed back. Now the boy's father had been in agony. You're a parent, you know the agony. The boy's father had been in pain and agony ever since he watched him disappear down that road. The most painful thing that could ever happen to any parent is happening and has happened to this father. Every day, every day the father would walk up to a, a vantage point and look out down the road and every day it was empty. Every day as he looked, he hoped and prayed and cried, hoping that his son would one day, he would see him come down that path. I suppose he probably get, had given up hope when one day he finally walks to the top of that hill and he looks and he looks way, way far off and he sees a figure beginning to come toward him. He couldn't miss that gate anywhere. He couldn't miss that, even with the ragged clothes and barefoot, he couldn't miss it. That's his son, and that was all it took. I don't know how many years it had been since that old man had ran, but this day he would run. He grabbed the bottom part of his cloak and lifted it up and put it in his belt, and the old man began to run, and he ran like he had never run before. And when he got to his son, he threw his arms around him and began to cry and he began to kiss him. And he couldn't stop kissing him. And the son, he starts blubbering out his confession. And the father just ignores it. He starts screaming to servants, get a ring and put it on his finger. Put the finest robe on him. Kill a fatted calf and let's have a party. My son was dead. And now he's alive. I don't know if the Lord has videos on a scene like that. It's a pretty good video. That's one of those happy endings. You just want the credits to rise up at that particular point and say, ah, oh, what a great movie that was. But that wasn't all the Lord had to say. You see, your first thought is, where's the older brother? Oh, I'll tell you where he is. He's the dutiful son. He's out in the field doing what he ought to do. That's what he's doing. He hasn't come in yet because the day's work is not over. He is out in the field doing the work that the son has always done. He's never transgressed his father's commandment. He's working hard. He's doing what dutiful sons do. But as he came in out of the field, he begins to hear music and singing and dancing. He says, what is this? What is going on here? And he begins to ask, and one of the servants says, your, your brother has returned, and your father has killed the fatted calf, and he is throwing a party. Oh, man. This dutiful son is infuriated. He is completely infuriated. He cannot believe this is going on. 
I would imagine he's been glad that that younger boy had gone. He was nothing but a pain. And now he just wasted his life and wasted his father's goods, and he might as well have stayed away. He is worthless. And when the father learns that his older son is outside, he has a unique way of handling this. He doesn't go out and rebuke him. He doesn't go about and say, what in the world's the matter with you, you kid? What is with you? He goes out and he pleads with him. He pleads with him. Son, your brother was dead. Now he's alive. He was dead and now he's alive. You need to come into the house and rejoice and have a party. Now here's the key to this. This is not the parable of the prodigal son. It never has been, and it never should have been. This is the parable of the dutiful son. There are faithful, dutiful sons and daughters in all of our churches. They have been there since childhood, and they're good people. I've been in it since childhood. And they have every determination to always serve God and to always obey God. They're meticulous about making sure that they keep His commandments and do what is right in His sight. They're the dutiful sons and daughters. And there's dutiful sons and daughters in all churches. Did you notice what was going on, though, in each part of the parable? Did you notice the emphasis that Jesus made? The first thing that we see over and again is the great concern and agony of heart that was in every person who lost. There was agony of a lost sheep. There was agony and concern over a lost coin. And especially, there was a father. And nobody can understand it who hasn't been a father or mother. You watch that child be born. You cared for it at night. You bathed it, took care of it. You kissed the owies, you put the band-aids on. You hugged and you loved and you hugged and you loved and you hugged and they loved. And one day, they said, get away from me. I'm out of here. No heart is broken like that heart. Everyone who lost had great concern and agony for what was going on. And because the brother never had agony, and because the brother was never in pain over the loss of his brother, he cares not about a party. That's not where he is. Don't you just wonder? The son, the older son, actually said to his father, You never gave me a party. Who's he thinking about? 
He's thinking about a party. He's thinking about what's done for him. He's thinking about me personally. The father rightly says, my, my son, everything I have is yours. You can do whatever you want with it. It's all yours. But he wanted his own party. And he doesn't care, he had a brother that was dead and now is alive. Secondly, in every single part of the parable, there's rejoicing. Angels are rejoicing. Heaven is rejoicing. Look what all of the hopes and dreams of God's heaven is about. We get glimpses of the heavenly places. We get glimpses of the spirit beings. And we get mention over and again of angels. But everything in heaven is about angels looking and watching and ready to share and throw a party when one sinner repents. I want to be in that party. That's quite a party. Everybody is rejoicing except the dutiful son. The dutiful son cares about himself. And then I think it impressive that the father pleads with his dutiful son. Again, it's not about a rebuke. It's about a pleading. He's reasoning with him. He's trying to get him to think in terms of what is really appropriate and right here. This is a whole different matter than whether or not the father said, you get yourself in here and you get a part of this party right now and I better see you smiling and laughing. No, that's not what this is about. This is about the father trying to give to his dutiful son his heart. He's trying to get his son to recognize the heart. The commandment will not fix the heart. He calls upon the dutiful son to realize your brother was dead. Do we appreciate that? What does dead mean here? Dead, without God, without hope, without direction, without knowledge, without forgiveness. Peter calls it reserved for the blackness of darkness forever. King James translation. Fantastic. I'll never forget the first time I read that. It burns in my brain. The blackness of darkness forever. That's dead. And the father is saying, your brother was dead. And now he's alive. But with dutiful sons and daughters, they don't have that care. They don't have that seeking. They don't have that rejoicing. But they're dutiful sons. Now always obey the Father's commandments. 
Those of us who've been Christians for a long time relate to dutiful sons. We can easily become self-absorbed and we can forget the grief that our father is going through. We can forget the grief that heaven is going through as they look and, and seek and desire the will of God for one lost soul. We say, oh, well, you know, just one. I know, I know somebody that's lost, and it's just, it's just one. You know, it's just that one person. And that one person is dead. And they need to become alive. And there's something else. We not only forget the grief of the father, but dutiful sons tend to complain. That's how the parable began. That's what started it. The grumbling and complaining about your paying attention to these people. What about us? Why would you go and hang out with them? And sometimes that's exactly what is so easily done by us. Oh, we care how the worship goes and how this goes and how that goes and when everything just right, etc. We wouldn't want to shake anything up too much that, that doesn't fit into where we're comfortable. Our dutiful sons, they like everything right. But they've missed the heart of the father. I thought about this. How long will the father stand outside and plead? How long will he stand outside and plead, come into the party? Come on in to the party. You see, here's what strikes me most about this. Saving lost souls, spreading the gospel message, should never, ever have been considered a duty of a Christian. It should never, ever have been taken as a commandment that I'm supposed to obey. And I can tell you when you read the book of Acts, you will never feel that. You will never feel it. You will see people become Christians who grieve just like the Father grieves for those around them that are lost. And that's the reason that over and over again, chapter after chapter after chapter, Luke says, and they went everywhere preaching the gospel. Because they couldn't stand it. You see, the Father's heart is broken. And the whole point of the parable was to get His people to feel the same heart. To have their heart broken as well that your brother was dead. You see, this is what heaven and heaven's angels are all about. And the moment a church stops seeing that that's the most important reason, and it is the reason he called us. We have lost it all. This is what heaven's about. This is everything Jesus ever did. This is everything God ever did, even before the foundation of the world. This is what it's all about.
Maybe you're here this morning as like a younger son. You left the father's house and hopefully you're beginning to realize that out of the father's house is nothing but a hog pen in the middle of a famine. And we're glad you're here. And we hope you return to the father's house. But maybe more likely, you felt yourself being one of those dutiful sons. And it's time for dutiful sons to come to the party. You have a friend. You have more than one. And you need to get closer to that friend, don't you? You need to connect a little more deeply with them so that you can easily say, why don't you and I read the Bible together? Or even, I don't feel real qualified, but I know somebody who is. Why don't we read the Bible together? We need to bring the straying back to the party. And we, who are so often like dutiful sons, need to join the party. That is the parable. And I, every time I read it, I cry and I think, you've got to do better. It's a hard one. We're going to sing a song. Let's rejoice that God has brought us to the party. Now let's go out and be rejuvenated. Open our eyes to see the harvest. What a great group you are. You have it in you. I know you do. Let's stand and sing.